Uh, so thank you guys so much for being here. Um, when I was, I'd say about 16 years old, just first got my license, uh, my mom, um, she had this car, it was a minivan, so that was cool. Um, and so that was a car I kind of I kind of rode around and thought it was neat because it said turbo on the side. So I know nothing about cars at all. So if it says turbo, it goes fast, even if it's a four-cylinder. I do know that. So anyway, before church on Wednesday evening, I decided to just kind of take it for a stroll. Um, I had no clue where I was going. I am terrible with directions. I will still use a GPS to get from here to the bathroom. So I'm really dependent upon MapQuest when you print those things out. So I had no clue where I was going. Um, and so I find myself just going around the Beltway in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, Baltimore is, I looked it up, the 14th most dangerous city in the United States. So that's cool. Um, so I'm just driving around, just keep going in circles because I just keep saying, well, if you go in a circle, you'll eventually end up to where you were. That's not how roads work. Um, so I find myself in this McDonald's, probably in Ellicott City, which is, again, not the best part of Baltimore, having to call my parents, collect, because I'm aging myself. I didn't have a cell phone at that time. So I called them, collect. They were worried half to death. So I think my dad ended up coming to get me and take me to youth group. So I was lost. I was scared. I felt like I had no hope because if I look back, I, I have no cell phone. Like, how do I get in contact with my parents at this McDonald's? And then it's that whole 1-800-COLLECT. Um, another example is uh, behind our house, we have this, uh, this cornfield. <laughs> Sounds kind of like from a weird movie, but yeah, we had a cornfield behind our small house. And uh, there is this haunted house and this bowling alley. So that's a weird combination. This haunted house and this bowling alley like on the other side of the town, which you could cut through the woods. So uh, cornfield, woods. And I asked my brother, how do I get to the bowling alley? So he told me one direction. And as the middle child, I decided to go the other direction. Um, and when I say haunted house, I don't mean like, hey, let's go and get scared with little ghosts. Like, you know, I went in there and it said, you know, uh, you know uh, this is where the lizard king lives. If you enter, all will die. Like it was like really where people went. So that was a little scary. Um, so I went the wrong way and I'm here stuck in this cornfield, which is like a legit horror movie and not knowing where I'm going. And I'm like, I think I'm about eight years old and I am scared to death. And so I had no hope. So I'm just like, let's just try to revert where I was, go back the way I came. And I end up in the backyard of my neighbor's house um, in the cul-de-sac. And I look up where my parents' house is, or my house, and there's the cops. So then I'm scared. But of course, they just called because they were worried about me. So my point behind all of that is that if you ever found yourself just totally lost and no hope at all, whether it's something silly like getting lost or it's perhaps something where something tragic has happened. So that's kind of the attention that I want to put this morning. I want our question to be, how should we respond when all hope is lost? Uh, today, we are going to be in Psalm 142. So if you guys want to turn there uh, in your Bibles, if you don't have one, there is a black one in the seat back uh, in front of you or on the front row of the chair underneath. So if you want to turn there, we're going to read. It's just seven verses. So I'm going to read through that, uh, give you some context, and then we're going to dive in verse by verse. So Psalm 142, I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. Along this path I travel, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, no one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me. No one cares about me. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to, the cry, to my cry, for I am very weak. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Free me from prison so that I can praise your name. 
The righteous will gather around me because you deal generously with me. So this here is also called a maskil, which basically is an instruction. It's the contemplation of David. Um, and so really, there's a lot of things that go on in scripture. There's like the immediate context. There's the other context of other passages, but also like, what are we supposed to gain from this? So although this is actually a cry of David during a very distraught time in his life, which we are going to talk about this morning, um, it's also meant to be an instruction to us on how we are supposed to deal and how we're supposed to respond when all hope seems lost. So this is instruction to us, not just a story, but instruction. So it's important that we take heed to it. So Psalm 142 was David's prayer or cry for relief as he fled from uh, King Saul, uh, who was trying to take his life. Now, there were two occasions um, which um, uh, David would retreat to a cave, fleeing from Saul. This one um, is, is shared more in 1 Samuel chapter 22. So that's going to be our, our opening for our context, okay? Uh, so in fact, let's, let's, um, let's give you an idea of this fear. So David was so desperate and afraid for his life as Saul is pursuing him. Because if you understand, David's going to be like the, the next anointed king. And Saul's like, I, I don't want that to happen. I, I like what I'm doing. I don't want David to do this. Um, so that David was just fleeing from Saul's people. And so he's going from city to city trying to figure things out. And in 1 Samuel 22, we see David is escaping to um, Gath, the city of Gath. And as he's trying to get away from the king, uh, he realized he had been recognized by one of Saul's men. And he completely faked being insane, earning, <laughs> earning him the first ever Oscar award. And, and you'll see this here in a second. So he is scared to death for his life. Saul is pursuing him. Saul's men are pursuing him. He's going from city to city trying to find refuge. Um, and so in 1 Samuel 21, 13, it says, So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let saliva fall down his beard. Um, and so the message, which will be on the screen, the message is more of a, a paraphrase, but I think it uh, summarizes it pretty succinctly. Uh, phrases 1 Samuel 21, 12 through 15 this way. When David realized that he had been recognized, he panicked, fearing the worst from uh, Achish, king of Gath. So right there, while they were looking at him, he pretended to go crazy, pounding his head on the city gate and foaming at the mouth, spit dripping from his beard. Achish took one look at him and said to his servants, can't you see he's crazy? Why did you let him here? Don't you think I have enough crazy people to put up with as it is without adding another? Get him out of here. Uh, so David would eventually discover a cave as he's fleeing where he camped out for an undisclosed amount of time, distraught, alone, confused, depressed, and without hope. And this is where we find David in Psalm 142. So let's turn our attention to verses one through two. I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Now, again, let's jump into David's shoes uh, really quick. This is very poignant, kind of gives you an idea of what's going on. Um, David did not head to this cave immediately. He had never heard of this cave. He wasn't like, let's go, and this is where you know, we used to hang out, have parties or whatever. This is somewhere he just happened to find and stumble upon was this cave. Uh, it was the final destination after escaping captivity and death over and over again. So first, David had evaded a spear hurled by King Saul in 1 Samuel. Then his wife, Michael, lowered him down from a window after Saul sent his soldiers to kill him in the morning, and now he was on the run. For a brief time, he hung out in the fields surrounding Jerusalem, then looked for refuge in the city of Nob before discovering one of Saul's men was there looking for him. 
He then asked the priest there for a weapon, to which the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, that name rings a bell for you guys, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. So David took the sword and bolted to the next city, the city of Gath. So picture this. Here's David standing in the middle of the city of Gath, one of five major cities of the Philistines, the hometown of Goliath, the giant he slayed as a boy, holding his victim's sword. Imagine the flashbacks David was having and the bewilderment as to how he was even in this position. David is not in a good place physically or mentally. Now he's in this cave crying out in an audible voice as we see in verse one, I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. He mentioned it twice. There's emphasis there. He's saying, God, make it stop. I beg of you, please stop this endless pursuit. I'm supposed to be the anointed king sitting on a throne ruling my people, but instead I'm on my feet running and ducking my enemies as they pursue me. And now I'm on my knees in this desolate cave surrounded by darkness and fear. And so the first thing that we find in this text that answers how we're supposed to respond when all hope is lost is to be honest and vulnerable with God. Be honest and vulnerable with God. David is pouring out his complaint before the throne of God. He's not carefully crafting his words to somehow impress God. If you guys know that maybe there's some people in your life like, man, they are just really, really good at praying. They know the words to say. They know where to pause. God does not care about that. Just cry out to him. He is not uttering his prayer silently or under his breath to avoid sounding desperate or needy. He is crying out as a child lost in the grocery store or a cornfield. He is pouring out his troubles upon God like a waterfall drenching the rocks below. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever looked at someone and knew they were joyful or distraught just, just by just seeing how despondent they were or how joyful they were? Like body language gives a lot away or maybe angry or excited, and, and, they, and then when they express these feelings through words or sounds, the feelings became much more real to you, especially if you have a younger child. You can see maybe they're not feeling well because they're just kind of lethargic. Then when they start crying and making some noises, then it really sets in like, wow, this is not good. So this is how God, it is with God. He knows what you're going through, but he wants you to know that he knows, and we experience this through being honest and vulnerable. So what are you currently concealing that although God knows, you have yet to audibly proclaim? It's, it's helpful. You know, I know a lot of us, we, we have silent prayers or even thinking about things as we go to work or we're going to hang out with friends or just doing errands and we're just kind of like silently praying to God. I, I would encourage you to speak out loud, even if it makes you look nuts at a stop sign. It works. It's helpful. It's what David is doing here. So when you, when you audibly proclaim and you're vulnerable and you're honest with God, it makes it more real to even you. You realize your struggle even more so that you need an answer, that you need something outside of yourself. Uh, an example for me is I really, and I've shared this with some of you as I've played tennis, I really struggle with my temper. Um, I expect more out of myself than um, I probably should, and, and that's, that's pride. Uh, but I often ask God, why am I struggling with his temper, like, why is it me? Like, I, it's not like when I start getting angry or upset, it's not like I chose and said, hey, body, get mad. Hey, body, have your temperature body, you know, temperature rising. It just happens, and then I have to choose how to respond. And it, it's really struggling. We're like, why is this something I have to deal with? And the more I voice it, the more God just says, hey, I've given this to you so that you can lean on me. 
because you would be prideful if not. Same thing with being married. I am not married. I turned 40 last March, so some of my examples might be a little over some people's heads. Apologize for that. Um, but I often wonder, like, why is it that so-and-so found someone, so-and-so found their person in college, or the first person they dated, or they never had a bad relationship? It's okay to think these things. It's okay to say them out loud. It's okay to admit them, because that's, I really think, the first step in being honest and vulnerable with God. Because just think about how vulnerable Jesus was with us throughout his entire ministry. It's super, super helpful. Let's turn our attention back to the text, verses three through four. Although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. Along this path I travel, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, no one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me, no one cares for me. Uh, I was... I don't know how long ago it was, again, in Baltimore, because that's, you know, my dad was a pastor um, in north of that area, and so we did some ministry in the city, and we were giving out, I think, lunches and maybe even some coats for the homeless, um, and there are a lot of homeless people, no matter what city you're in, um, and so I had spoken to this gentleman, he probably was around in the 60s, and I was sharing with him just, just the love of Christ or explaining to him why we're doing this, why we're giving out these coats um, and this type of thing, like what, what motivates us to do this. And what he shared with me, I still remember to this day, he says, I've done so much because he was a veteran. I've killed too many people in war. God could never forgive me. And I, what was really bothering him was like, he was scared the fact that God knew that, he was like, there's no way he would accept me. But what I think is awesome is it's like, God already knows that and he's waiting for you. He wants to accept you. He wants to lavish his love on you. I, I didn't know how to respond at that time. I walked away pretty teary-eyed. I did not know how to respond to that. Uh, but maybe it, wasn't, maybe it wasn't my job to respond. Maybe it got him to admit it out loud. And who knows where he's at right now. I trust the Lord with that. So pain is a real thing. And it can completely mess with your mind and your spirit to where you'll do just about anything to alleviate it. Not only can physical pain lead to a weakened spirit, but the inverse is true as well. But here in this cave, David is emphasizing his despondence, his weak spirit, and lack of will to continue. Uh, the message again says it this way, as I sink in despair, my spirit ebbing away. This mental inner exhaustion affects every area of our life. How David had the energy to cry out to God is beyond me. So after David expresses his mental and physical battering, he explains, God, you know my way. You know what's going on. You see me as I perform my daily routine. There are traps laid for me in order to make me fail. Look to the right. I know you see there's no one there to care for me or defend me. I have nowhere to run. My back is against the wall. I am all alone. And what we can see here in verses three through four is trust in God's omniscience. Uh, now, there's three really strong attributes of God. You got omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. Omni means all. So God is all powerful. Um, he is everywhere, and he is all-knowing. And so when we look and see what David is saying here, he's, he's not, he's, uh, when we go back to the text, it says, look to the right and see, no one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me, no one cares about me. He's not like bringing God's attention to it as if he doesn't know. Uh, the way this is translated is actually David is saying, God, I know you know this. I know you know what's going on through me, and I know you can be there for me. I know you can give me hope. Please give me hope. Trust that God knows what he's doing, even if you never, ever get an answer to your questions. Have you ever had that? Like, 
we, we often talk about God answering prayers, and when something positive happens, we say, God answered our prayer. Eh. Uh, if, he doesn't, if he doesn't give you the answer that you're wanting, he still answered it. It was just, that was his answer, and we need to rest in that. So there's this knowledge, there's this leaning on God's omniscience. You see, it's not that David was having a bad day, a bad week, or even a bad month in which devastation was an isolated event. At this point, he can't even use the restroom or sit down for a meal without looking over his shoulder. And because of the enemy's pursuit, no one wants to be associated with him. Like for me, when I go into a restaurant, I won't, I have to have my back against the wall. I don't know if that's just a weird thing, um, but it's kind of the thing like I don't want someone like creeping up on me, uh, but that's just food at a restaurant. This is David fearing for his life. So I don't know why I made that example, but you kind of get where I'm going here. Um, <laughs> so in Acts 7, um, when Stephen was being stoned for his faith, he was a Christian martyr, it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. So if you turn your attention back to verse four, it says, look to the right and see, no one stands up for me. So there's significance about when the Bible uses standing to my right or sitting to my right. There are many different ways in which positioning to one's right and standing on behalf can be applied. Here we see in the passage I read that Jesus is standing up for Stephen. He is saying, Stephen, I know what you're going through. I see it. You're a martyr for me. I accept this sacrifice. I am standing on behalf of you. I am witnessing what is going on. And David's saying, I don't even feel like I have someone witnessing what's going on and seeing what I'm going through. That's what David is going through. He's saying, I have no one to stand up for me. He says, look, I know you don't see anyone here for me. So he's acknowledging that God knows it. There's no one I can cling to. What have I become that there isn't a single soul willing to embrace me during the most difficult time in my life? In fact, there is evidence in the scriptures that once his family and all others who were oppressed during the time, um, during this time, I heard that David had fled. So when we go back to 1 Samuel and David fled to the cave, all his family and friends had heard that this had happened. All, they all came to the, to the cave to be by his side, but yet we see here in the scriptures that David still felt alone and without hope. So how can you be surrounded by people that you love? How can you be surrounded by your support group and still be lonely? Now, I ask that question pretty rhetorical because I think you guys have, have been there. I think perhaps some of you are, are there now. Your, your friends, your family, they are going to let you down because they're not perfect. They're going to let you down. They're not always going to be there for you because they have some of their own stuff going on or maybe you're not as close to them anymore. Like That's always going to be the case. But what we see here in Scripture, what David is acknowledging, it's kind of like he's saying, I'm going through this pain. God, don't you see there's no one here for me? But at the same time, I know you're here for me. It seems kind of, kind of contradictory, but you can hold those two things true at the same time. People that you love may not be there for you, and you may not feel that imminent, that presence, but know that God is. Uh, there's been times that I've, in college, um, I had a bunch of different groups of friends because I wanted to diversify my social portfolio. And so <laughs> I just came up with that on the spot. Um, so I had, I had to hang out with the, the jocks because I played some baseball. I hung out with, you know, the video game nerds because I am one. I heard I hang out with the back table nerds as we call because they like playing like card games and stuff. Um, and they were just cool people. And so like a lot of times my friends would not ask me to hang out because they were assumed I was hanging out with other people. So I'm just alone listening to Adventures in Odyssey in my dorm room, um, which honestly is not a bad evening. Um, and you see where that got me here in my 40s. So 
All right, good night. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that. But anyway, so <laughs> a lot of <laughs> so as you can see, like, there was times where I was I was left alone. Not like David, of course, in this situation, but there was nothing I did to make me be left alone. People just weren't there. And, and, and we need to depend upon God. We need to rest in God. We need to trust in his omniscience because his is the only one that ultimately matters in the grand scheme of things. So I'll ask you again, have you ever been lost in a sea of people, whether loved ones or strangers? You're surrounded by them, but you still feel lost. Does this remind you of anyone in the Gospels? I think it reminds us of Jesus' ministry and his death. There were times where Jesus was praying and all the disciples fell asleep on him. Uh, he's on the cross and he's crying out to God, why have you turned your back on me? Uh, Jesus has been there. And so whenever you go through things in your life and you talk to people and they've been there, that, that's comforting. And, and Jesus has been in all of those circumstances. And that's what the gospel is. It's Jesus doing for us what we could not do ourselves. And he did that on the cross. He was lonely, surrounded by a ton of people, whether they were mocking him, crying that he was dying. He was surrounded by people. He was the spectacle at that time all alone. So he gets you. He gets what's going on. Now, does David really think God is not standing to his right? Does he believe God is abandoning him to suffer alone? According to verses five and six, this doesn't seem to be the case. So let's turn our attention back to the scriptures. Verses five through six say, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry for I am weak Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. So there seems to be a shift in David's focus. His demeanor is still the same, but he stops looking at what's not there and turns his sights to what, or rather, who is there. So he's done his, his complaining. He's done his venting. He's gotten all that out of the way to see where it is in the grand scheme of things, and now he's leaning on what he knows is there. Um, I, I'm coming upon the three-year anniversary of the, the death of uh, my childhood best friend. His name was Kenny. He and his wife were in a car accident um, September 2020, uh, and they both, they both died immediately. Uh, he was 36 years old, 36, 37. And we did everything together. Um, I sometimes now want to text him and tell him something goofy that happened or just to argue theology with him, and then we just end up talking about the good old days. Um, but have you ever wondered why God does not allow us to maybe occasionally talk to someone who has departed us and gone into heaven and just let us have a conversation with them? Just give, just give me five more minutes. Um, just let me, even if, if they don't talk back, just let me know that he heard. Have you ever felt that before? It's just like, man, I, I miss him. Just let me, let me talk five more minutes with him. But God offers us something greater than that. He offers us himself. Uh, when Jesus ascended after he resurrected, he told the disciples, it is better for me to go away because he will send the spirit and the spirit will be with you always. You see, David's acknowledging who is really there for him. He had just said there was no refuge for him, yet confesses that God is his shelter and his portion, which is to say everything he will ever need. There is no being lost in the presence of God. 
He admits his weakness and calls out to be rescued. He humbles himself, and instead of looking to his left, to his right, over his shoulder, he looks up to find strength because he cannot conquer this enemy alone. He had run out of options. So what's another way that we can respond when all hope is lost is to find strength in God when you are weak. Uh, the Apostle Paul um, <laughs> wrote a ton of the New Testament. Uh, he, in fact, before his name was turned to Paul, uh, he was Saul, someone who was persecuting the church. Going back to that example that I used in the book of Acts about Stephen being stoned to death for his faith, Saul was actually an individual holding the coats of those that were stoning Stephen. So you can see what the gospel can do. Change people's lives. And so here Paul is... Um, writing and, and kind of praying in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And he says this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, this thorn in the flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, per persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So here David's enemies are individuals who want to extinguish him. While he also struggled with the enemies of sin and evil, he was being physically haunted. Perhaps what pursues you or haunts you or makes you weak is that cancer diagnosis or that ailment that just straight up ambushed you, that broken relationship that wrecked you and you haven't been able to recover. Or on the other side of that, that guilt and conviction of how you treated someone or that habit you just can't seem to shake. Cry to God, take shelter in his provision like David did, feed off of his goodness. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this about pain and suffering as it relates to God. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I remember I was attending Summit Church a while ago uh, with a pastor was sharing a story about this, uh, this, I think it was six or seven year old boy. He had stage four cancer. And he and his father were praying extremely hard that God would just, just remove it, just get rid of the cancer so that he can grow up and, and, and live a, a normal life. And as they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, they finally did come with an awesome conclusion that it had been eradicated. It was done. Uh, but the father noticed something in his little boy that yes, he was excited but there was something a little off about him. And so when uh, the father asked his son, you know, what's, son, what's going on? Why we should be excited about this? He said, you know, now that God has healed me, I, I don't feel that my prayer life is as strong as it was. Not, not that he somehow had forgotten that God did this. And, and I'm not one to say this thing over here happened because of this. I'm not gonna make those connections. I think it can be very insensitive when someone says, Oh, well, God meant it for good. Even though that's in scripture, that's definitely taken out of context. There are things that we go through we can't attach to something else. Sometimes it's just the gratuitousness of sin in this life. But this young boy was leaning on God because he knew that nothing else was gonna get him through. And then when he was healed, he was grateful for it, but he was admitted that his prayer life kind of slacked off. So that's just one thing for us. There's this continual, we always need to be in a certain type of cave, so to speak. Not a cave of despondence, but a cave of perhaps solitude so that we can grow closer and closer to God. And as we, we end here in verse uh, seven, direct your attention there. 
It says, free me from prison so that I can praise your name. The righteous will gather around me because you deal generously with me. Look at the reason why David wants to be free from prison. Because yes, it's gonna be to alleviate the pain he's going through. But what do we see? It's so he can praise the name of God. Yes, he wants deliverance, but it's because he wants to intentionally point others to God and who he is. And in the second half of verse seven, we see the righteous will gather around David. Now, this could mean David knows God will deliver him and then all his friends that perhaps were out in the cave waiting for him as he still felt lonely were then going to be reunited with him and encourage him and, and strengthen him and, and be there for him. But I, I, I think there's something more going on here. Because God rescued David, whatever this deliverance looked like, because it isn't really said in scriptures, all those in his circle can witness and glorify God for what he had done. Not for David's just rescue, although that's part of it. He was like, God, please bring me through this so that your name can be honored. And so that brings us to uh, another response of how we can um, deal with things when all hope is lost is allow your hopelessness to bring others to Christ. Even those who do not acknowledge who God is or who are looking for answers during their own times of desperation and loss can see how you struggled, how you cried, how you prayed, how you hoped and leaned on God and perhaps find Jesus because of their testimony and faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I, I was a part of, I was a uh, commissioner, <laughs> sounds fancy, um, uh, that's what they call it, of a baseball league out in Wake Forest, and I recently just kind of handed the helm over because it was just, it was a lot of work. Um, but I had a guy on my team and um, didn't know where he was personally, didn't even know he really went to church at one time. And I went to start one of the expansion teams, and I was a manager, and he had asked, hey, can I jump on over to your team? I'm like, yeah. I said, you know, talk, talk to your coach first, because you know we want to do things the right way. And later on, I found out like why, why he did it. So when I had a couple of um, shoulder surgeries, I, was, I struggled with getting off the pain meds, because I was on them longer than I should have been. Um, but this, my friend also struggled. He actually lost his job because he got addicted to the painkillers pain and did whatever necessary to find more. And me sharing that story with him, and whenever I would mess up in baseball and said something I shouldn't have said or lost my temper, apologize for it, apparently that's, that stuck out to him. This isn't to toot my own horn because I had no clue. Um, he said that, you know, Brian, but because of just seeing the influence in your life, how you struggle with things, how you messed up, how you owned up to it, um, he's, you know, I've kind of uh, um, reconciled with my wife and with my kids, and we're, we're now returning back to church. And that was, that was encouraging. It was something that I needed in that moment. I was actually feeling pretty lonely and without hope at that moment when he had that conversation. So it's amazing how God just orchestrates these things. And that's why I want to emphasize the importance of community groups here at New City, um, I, our, our group is awesome. We've got, we got more than we usually would allow, but it's awesome. People kept coming, and I'm like, I can't turn them down. We're there for each other. We have coffee for each other. We share things with each other, and it's just one of those things where community is what David didn't have at this moment, so God gives us community. That's part of his answer to our prayers is give us people that we can rely on, but sometimes that community isn't, isn't always there, and that's okay. That's okay, but, but we need both of those. That's why we have the church as well. We need both of those. 
So the final point that I just kind of want to make before we close here is how should we respond when all hope is lost? We be honest and vulnerable with God. We trust in God's omniscience. We find strength in God when we're weak. You allow your hopelessness to bring others to Christ, but you also find hope in the cross of Christ. And I want us to emphasize what hope is and what hope isn't. Hope is not just, <laughs> will you go out with me, please check yes or no and pass that note along. And just hoping that they'll say yes. I hope that they'll check it. It's not just hoping your team's gonna win or, or that quarterback isn't just gonna like, I don't know, just implode and that type of thing. It's not hoping that when you come home, your child's not destroyed the house. It's not hoping in this or that. Okay, it's not like a wishful thinking. Hope is something that's secured in Christ and what he did on the cross for us. Instead of focusing on, you know, taking your fingers and crossing them, look at the cross of Christ. That's where the emphasis should shift. That's what true hope is. It's not just hope. It's not just wishful thinking. It's putting your trust in something that's already been done for you on your behalf, that by those who trust in Christ, will live for all eternity with him. That is how we can respond when all hope is lost. Let's pray.